We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There we go. Try to mute on again, like last time. It's all good. Uh, what is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven. I am the host. And joining me today are my guys, Tyler and Alex. Tyler, we'll start with you, man. How are you doing today? You know, today I was on Fullerton's campus, and some random person came up to me and asked me about the concept of hell. And I should have just flipped my laptop around and showed them film of the tight end class. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I have to say I gained some more appreciation today for Gerald Everett and uh, really glad that the Chargers were uh, able to make that move. So uh, Alex is here as well. Alex, how you doing, man? Yeah, uh, I gained a little bit more appreciation for Gerald Everett and a little less appreciation for RAS scores because you see some guys with some high RAS scores and then uh, ugh, yeah. just running like they got plywood for knees. I don't know. Yeah, man, this uh, this tight end class is deceiving. I mean, we heard like a few months ago during the uh, All-Star Game circuit that, you know, all the tight ends were crushing it at the Shrine Bowl and all the tight ends were crushing it at the Senior Bowl. And then you watch the film and it's just like, Ew. so uh, we're going to dive into that class later. Uh, we got Joseph Munoz with Donovan Mitchell on the Jazz as his profile picture asking to sign Antonio Brown. Uh, no, hard pass. Seems like a joke. I, I believe this is a yoke, but um, yeah, we'll see. Also, uh, enjoy that uh, that profile picture while you have it, because uh, Donald Mitchell getting traded soon. Anyways, um, the first thing we're going to talk about today, 
is the Chargers' interest in uh, Derek Stingley, which was on full display today at the LSU Pro Day. We'll also talk about the Saints' decision to trade in front of the Chargers and kind of what that means. And then we'll also hit on the uh, signing of Steven Anderson with the Arizona Cardinals and kind of how that impacts this uh, wonderful and amazing tight end class, which we'll uh, we'll get into. Uh, but first things first, let's talk about the Chargers' interest in Derek Stingley. Uh, of course, the cornerback out of LSU. Um, you know, I, it was really interesting to see the Chargers out in full force. Brandon Staley, Ronaldo Hill, and Derek Ansley were all in attendance at the LSU Pro Day. And the Chargers were specifically working Derek Stingley in a position drill. Brandon Staley was there. Derek Ansley was right there with him, working up a sweat. I love to see that. Um, Alex, I, I think you kind of are the most down on Derek Stingley at, at this point. So uh, first of all, what did you make of the Chargers being there at Derek Stingley's pro day? And then kind of how you feel that impacts the ability to select him if he's there, of course, at 17. Um, I mean, I think them being there is them doing their due diligence and Brandon Staley likes cornerbacks. So, I mean, I'm sure he'll look into all the potential cornerback options that are there at 17 or ones later in the draft as we've seen them, you know, taking interest in all the later round wide receivers, for example. So they're going to do their due diligence and there's a lot of pro guys that come from LSU anyway. So I didn't think too much of that. Um, you know, I do think Brandon Staley definitely loves the idea of Derek Stingley and just, you know, placing him right next to JC Jackson. You move on from Michael Davis next year. And now, you know, you're dealing with Derek Stingley, JC Jackson and Asante Samuel, potentially. I mean, that seems like uh, a really nice potential secondary group that you could put together. Um, but I have health questions on Derek Stingley and, you know, from his play, you know, if you just showed someone the 2019 tape, I mean, you know, that would, you know, get him drafted in the top five of this draft. <laughs> like if you just showed someone that and didn't tell them about the health issues, but his play has declined because of injuries uh, that we've seen. And also, you know, coming back from a list Frank injury that doesn't really have a, a specific timetable or a really like high recovery rate. So um, I don't know. I, I have some questions with his lower body injuries and I'm not out on him. Obviously if they take him at 17, there'd be part of me that would be excited based on the potential. But um, yeah, I, probably would be a little bit more risk averse there uh, and go for one of the other corners at that spot. I have not watched Derek Stingley, so I couldn't tell you if I love him, if I don't like him, whatever. Obviously, I have medical. There are the medical concerns. You know, last year, I bumped guys down my board for that specific reason, most notably Caleb Farley. Different situation, but same sort of situation. Uh, I'm glad everyone's really interested in Stingley and the Chargers being there and Staley being there is awesome. But A, you know, there are other players at the LSU Pro Day, ones that we've known that they've met with, like Neil Farrell. Uh, and B, I don't think he's going to be there. Uh, Stingley's going to be there at 17. And C, I, even if there's a good corner there like Stingley, I don't know if I'm into them taking a corner. I don't buy that they're going to take a corner to replace Michael Davis this year. Next year, maybe. And that's assuming that Michael Davis is still the outside guy. And Asante Samuel Jr. isn't the outside guy anyway, but... I don't. I just don't buy that they're going to take a corner at this spot. So it's really cool to see. I think they asked Stingley about his character, or not character, but they, they wanted to see that he could, after all this adversity, go and show out. And because they obviously watched the film on him, and we know Staley watches, you know, four seasons of J.C. Jackson just to maybe sign him. <laughs> obviously, they've watched plenty of Stingley, but yeah, yeah, this is all fun. This is cool. If they take him, you know, sure. But I don't buy that they're down there 
and with a supreme interest in Derek Stingley, or at least interest in a way that I also think will translate to them picking him at 17. Man, I, I feel like I would feel you more if it were just like Derek Mansley was there. But mm -hmm. Brandon Staley's not going to go to a pro day unless he's like really interested in a guy. Like, you know, I, I think we rarely see head coaches at these pro days these days. And I love Neil Farrell, and I know you love Neil Farrell, but Brandon Staley's not going to Neil Farrell's pro day. You know what I mean? Like to like that's just not what how this circuit is working. So I think they are interested in Derek Stingley, and you know, he said mm -hmm. afterwards that they were kind of trying to figure out if if Stingley still had it, if he still was that same kind of dog that they saw in 2019. So I think there's legitimate smoke there in terms of their interest in him, you know, sure. whether or not he is there at 17 is another conversation. I kind of doubt it, but mm -hmm. I think Brandon Staley and Ronaldo Hill being there means that they aren't interested in him. If it were just Derek Ansley, I'd be like, okay, like they're just, you know, covering their bases, but all three of them being there together and, you know, conducting a, an individual workout, if you will, I think that is significant, but I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I think you're right that they do. Like, obviously there's interest and there's legitimate interest. There's definitely smoke there. And I guess, yeah, if these are at 17, I suppose they could take them. I just, I don't, I don't buy that it's anything more than let's go see this very talented guy. And if he's there, maybe we'll take him. But like, I just don't buy that this is a, a thing that's going to happen. That's all. I think if he's there, it's definitely possible. I, I do agree with Stephen that there's smoke there, and that Staley might mm -hmm. very well like him. Um, I just, I don't know. Like, I don't get swung on the pro day. Like, Derek Stingley ran a 4.37. Sure. Yeah, I knew he was fast. Like, that that's not the problem, uh, you know, when you talk about his medicals and, and the potential problems with taking him. Um, and, you know, the pro day is all just one big show anyway. Um, but I, I like that Staley's interested and that his mind is thinking about all these things. But... Um, yeah, I, it didn't necessarily move the needle for me that they're going to draft him if he's there. Um, you know, I definitely think there's a lot of other guys they'll be interested in. There's a lot of pro days that we haven't seen, right? Like, um, you know, so we'll see if Brandon Staley ends up being interested in any of those uh, pro days as well. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I like the idea of Stingley. I just have too many question marks on it at this point. No, I, I feel you, Alex, because there are a lot of question marks. I, I think the... The significance of him being able to perform on the pro day means that he is healthy. He said that he was cleared three weeks ago, and that certainly is important. Whether that foot injury kind of leads itself to more foot injuries really is the concern there for me because I think, you know, it's more of a long term thing than a short term thing. You know, this isn't mm -hmm. like Caleb Farley, who went into the draft with like four certified back injuries. And yeah. you're just like, you have no idea what you're getting. So I think the pro day is significant from that aspect because it showed that he was healthy. I mean, he was like barely trying in that 4-3-7 or 4-4-3, I think was the official time. So I, I think the only significance really from the pro day is that it proved that he is healthy. He is cleared medically. He should be ready for training camp, you know, barring another setback or anything like that. But um, to me, the concern is the tape right like you you go from this elite 2019 season and again i haven't really watched a ton of tape like just you know focusing in on Derek stingley obviously there were some lsu defenders that year that i watched and so i kind of like watched stingley uh, on you know as kind of a bystander but mm -hmm. his 2020 tape was worse his 2019 tape was kind of even worse than that granted he only played three games but to me the concern is the decline more so than the injury because you know, you look at like 
to me, Sauce is like clearly CB1. But if you're comparing Stingley and Andrew Booth, Andrew Booth's tape is is better and better and better each year, you know, presumably kind of ascending, whereas Stingley is kind of on the decline. So I don't know, man. Like, I, I think he's he's definitely in that conversation for CB2, CB3, and I'm glad that he's fully healthy. But it is really interesting to see Brandon Staley down there in full force we're running that workout with him, Derek Ansley, Ronaldo Hill there as well. So it is definitely something that kind of, you know, your ears perk up when you when you hear that Brandon Staley is down there watching Derek Stingley. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find last year who went to what pro day. I can't find anything because everything is about Stingley this year. That's just tearing <laughs> apart my search engine. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's go through this then. So let's say he's there at 17. They take him. What do you think happens to Michael Davis? He stays on the team for a year. Yeah, I, I don't think that they can they don't need to cut him financially. I think you can keep him for death purposes. I think mm-hmm. you can also kind of, you know, ease Derek Stingley into the starting lineup. If, if you're worried about his decline, if you're worried about the injuries, but you know, and by the end of the season, Davis is likely out of the rotation. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's mm-hmm. going to be CB four. And then next year uh, would obviously be cut. Okay. And then do you believe that if Stingley were there, that they would have Michael Davis, like Staley would have paid Michael Davis, and because he, he did, sort of, paid Michael Davis last year. He signed off on it at least, yeah. He at least signed off on it. Do you think he would do that that fast? And to move on from him basically the following year? I mean, they gave him a two-year deal, basically. Like, I mean, they gave him the three-year and the big contract, and that was a great moment, but they, they built that contract like it was a short-term deal. So, I mean, I, I don't think they tied themselves uh, to Michael Davis for too long. And I think part of that was intentional. Just like, okay, let's keep the pieces that we have in place. And then, you know, we can build on, you know, we can see if Michael Davis is a piece of the Staley defense long term or if he's not later on. Uh, building off of that great 2020 he had didn't really do that. So, I mean, I think it's just short term at this point and then kind of in a way, I think it always has been. And they've always given themselves flexibility. Plus, it's not like they're paying a, a ton of the money, you know, CB-wise. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, as we've kind of said, you know, Brandon State loves his DBs. I think that's an interesting dime package because then you you don't bring in a third safety. You bring in four corners, as, and I don't know. that That's really interesting to me. But, um, you know, Brandon Staley said that he he's into taking the whole best player available approach, and so – if Stingley is there, you know, I have a hard time believing that there is another player who has a higher ceiling than him. So, you know, I, I think there like there are definitely some concerns. I don't think that Stingley should be a top 10 player um, because of those concerns. But if he's there at 17, you know, I, I think that's fine value for a player with that kind of ceiling that we've seen in 2019. The question really is if Brandon Staley thinks that he can get that ceiling back out of Derek Stingley and it's worth moving on somebody like Michael Davis who at his best is a is a quality CB2. Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I know we'll get into corners in about a week. Yeah. But is there any precedent for this? Like someone two youth almost two not three years ago playing at a certain level and then just kind of not being available for two years in this way. Is there any kind of precedent for this? I mean I'm sure there has been, but not off the top of my head. Yeah, I'd have to look into that one a little bit more. Yeah, I don't know. You know, some people have kind of compared his situation to Kayvon Thibodeau's situation. I happen to think that Thibodeau still put out elite tape, 
this past season, mm -hmm. but yeah. All right. So uh, we'll move on kind of uh, geographically to the next city over, if you will, the New Orleans saints have traded uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles recently. Uh, this is a draft trade that does impact the chargers. Obviously the, the saints moving up from 18 to 16. So they jumped the chargers at 17 uh, Eagles are able to kind of, you know, split their assets and take one of their first round picks this year and turn it into a first round pick next year. Saints obviously mm -hmm. have two first round picks this year. So, uh, Tyler, we'll start with you. What do you make of the Saints' decision to jump the Chargers? Uh, for I mean, separate from that, Eagles, fantastic. What a great trade for you yeah. guys. I'm sure Alex is pretty happy Hi. with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm just saying great trade for the Eagles, of course. Some people discuss this as being like a Chargers thing, like they need to jump the Chargers for someone. I mean, it's possible. It's possible, but it's so it's so far away. Why would you make that move? Now, yeah. if Derek Stingley were there in the draft at 16, and then the Saints jumped the Chargers at that point for Stingley, that would almost make more sense. But obviously, we don't we don't know that at this point. So to me, I I really don't buy that they're moving up for a quarterback. Not this much capital and not this draft and they have Jameis Winston back they signed Andy Dalton I'm not saying those two are the future of your, your organization <laughs> by any means but like I'd rather just kind of wait for the next class or the following class or whatever than go up to get maybe this quarterback so I don't really buy that it's for a quarterback to me I just think they want to get the best players there's what 15 first round picks maybe 20 first round picks in terms of grades at best Sounds like this class, there's like 15 at most. So I think they just want the best players they can in sort of an all-in-ish year with Jameis and Winston because the NFC is not that great and, you know, we'll see. So I, I don't know if they really are going up to get a quarterback. Some people being, think they are. I don't buy it. Being all-in on Jameis Winston is hilarious to me. Like, I, I think they were like... you could be. I know. Honestly, in the NFC, you know, being all-in on Jameis Winston and taking you know, let's say Trevor Penning and Christian Watson, like that probably is like the fourth best team in the NFC at that point. So I don't know, man, like not to say that Christian Watson will be their choice, just kind of throwing out a name, but I don't buy that it's for a quarterback because like you said, they, they just signed Jameis. They just signed Andy Dalton. They just drafted Ian Book last year. Not to say that Ian Book would oh, like yeah. deter you from drafting a quarterback, <laughs> but they have a lot of recent capital spent in the quarterback position. And then of course, you know, Taysom Hill is converting to tight end or still being his quarterback self. I don't really know what's happening there. So I, you know, Daniel Jeremiah tweeted out that he think he's hearing that they just want two quality starters. And like Tyler saying, they just want to get guys into the building this year. But a, a small part of me would think that they would trade up, but not for a quarterback. I think they could trade up for an offensive tackle because you know, they do have a really high-quality roster. They just lost to Ron Arbstead. Maybe they trade up to seven and they get Charles Cross. So I I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. I know that's really kind of bad value, trading two first-round picks up for an offensive tackle at seven or five or whatever. But this quarterback class isn't like trade, you know, trade a bunch of assets to go select Malik Willis at five because you'd have to jump the Carolina Panthers. So. I don't know. To me, this feels like they're just going to stick with those two picks and then, you know, pick whoever is there. This trade is like the stupidest fucking trade <laughs> I've ever seen for the Saints. Like, what are you doing? Like, everyone talking. Tyler just said being all in with Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton. 
Um, okay, let me read you the Saints' 2022 opponents. They play Tampa Bay twice. They play the Rams. They play the Ravens. They play the Bengals. They play the Raiders. Uh, they also play Cleveland, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, Philadelphia. Like, they have an awful fucking schedule. Like, yeah. and they're going to go all in with... They're not two quality starters away, especially when you don't have a quarterback in this league. Um, like, if they want to jump the Chargers and they want to take Trevor Penning, take him. Take Charles Cross. Please take Trevor Penning. (laughs) Take Trevor Penning more. Take a bad wide receiver, please. Uh, But, like, take someone that we don't want. But, honestly, if they're going to spend all that capital to jump the Chargers by one spot, fine with it. Like, I don't don't care at this point. Um, Like, I just think that's ridiculously bad value. You're giving up a first-round pick next year. That may very well end up being a top 15 pick. Uh, So, like, this is a really risky trade for them. And I just don't understand it. Um, I accept it as a partial Eagles fan. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you to Howie Roseman. He doesn't know how to make the picks, but he pulls off these trades perfectly. Uh, so thanks. Thanks to Howie. But uh, no, like I just I don't get this move for them at all. In terms of how it affects the Chargers, I mean, the Eagles were going to make a pick there anyway. And there's some needs there that could have overlapped with the Chargers, too. Um, so I just I don't I don't get this trade for the Saints at all. I don't think that this really affects the Chargers in like a big way other than one offensive tackle might be off the board more. But to me, that shouldn't change the Chargers draft equation, especially if they're in on someone like Derek Stingley or if they're in on some of the wide receivers. It might change the math a little bit, but I'm not concerned, especially if the Saints might trade up again. Um, and you know, either go grab a quarterback or another player, please go take a quarterback. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, take, take as many off the board as you can before the chargers. Um, if that's the case, but, uh, I just think the saints aren't anywhere close to competing. They're in a division with Tom Brady and the bucks who are going to win it again. They're going to be grinding it out for like the last wild card spot. And I don't think they're going to make it because their schedule is really tough. So I don't get this trade for the saints, but thank you. Uh, and as far as how it affects the chargers, really don't think it affects them that much because they're still going to get a really quality player there regardless if the saints take offensive tackle four yeah you know i I think that really is like the only effect for the chargers is that if they do stick with those two picks and they don't trade up for somebody then that 16th pick is probably the floor for trevor penning so you know they do desperately need a left tackle you know the saints have to keep that reputation of of having an, uh, a quality offensive line. So, um, you know, as, as Teresa Compapas points out, maybe that's a Jamison Williams floor as well. So um, that's an interesting thing to keep an eye on, but I don't think this is necessarily, you know, changes much like Alex is saying. Like 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 I said, really, the, it's the floor for Trevor Penning as offensive tackle for it is really the big takeaway. I just mm-hmm. don't – like I don't understand – if your goal is to go trade up for a quarterback, why would you do all those other things? And if your goal is mm-hmm. to get a franchise quarterback, why would you not get assets for next year? Like yeah. that's the thing that the Eagles are doing, right? The Eagles are saying like, okay, we're going to give Jalen Hurts another chance and next year, you know, if we yeah. decide to move off him, then we can go we now have the assets to go trade up for a Bryce Young, a CJ Stroud or whoever, you know, there's always that dark horse that comes out of nowhere so um we're seeing that with kind of like the lions have two two picks next year you know that really is like the smart thing to do if you're trying to you know trade for a quarterback and 
you know, going to trade all these assets to go get Malik Willis at five, like, oh man, like that would just like, be that would just be brutal. I, I get it. Like, I get that the quarterback class isn't good, but if you're gonna give up all this capital, it's kind of like it better be for a quarterback. Like, if you want to trade for Charles Cross or someone like that, like, fine. But they just gave up like four future draft picks uh, mm-hmm. to go grab you know a guy like and i just i don't think that that's good value at all um you know so for me you have at it if you want to jump the chargers by one spot and give up you know your entire future to go do it like that that's just weird to me don't understand this trade at all um but it it is almost like it better be for a quarterback like if you think the only way to justify it yeah it's the only way to justify it in my opinion so um i i don't think that'll end up being the case but Good luck being all in on Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton in a year where you don't have Sean Payton. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think we'll see because yeah, we should be for a quarterback. And now at the time, they definitely had a quarterback, that Drew Brees guy. But in 2018, they did give up a, a later, a future first and a third, and I think like a sixth for Marcus Davenport. Like so, when they traded up to four from 27 to 14, we thought it was anybody else, and then it ended up being Marcus Davenport. So. If they see a guy that they want or guys that they want, they're going to go get it, regardless of whether it makes any sense to us. Yeah, I don't know. The Saints just do things differently than everybody else. And, you know, if this ends up being like Trent McDuffie and Kenyon Green, man, like that would just be like unsurprising. (laughs) I I feel like this is just kind of like a in a bigger way because the Saints gave up a lot more capital. But in a way, how I felt about the Eagles Dolphins trade last year. Where it's like, okay, you're going to give a future first to the Eagles to go get Jalen Waddle over Devonta Smith. Is that that much more valuable to you? Right. Um, so, like, is Charles Cross is moving up one spot to jump, you know, for an OT or a wide receiver at that point that valuable to you that you just give up all these picks? Like, that. Yeah. that's the thing for me. I, I, just, I, I will like, say, if Cross is there at 16 and then they take him, and then the only thing left to the Chargers is penning, then yeah, that's worth it to the Saints if they wanted to tackle. <laughs> but then I, I would pass on penning at that point. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, I don't know. Yeah, the Charles Cross thing is, it's gonna be really interesting. You know, everybody everybody that I talk to about this is always like, oh, Rashawn Slater fell to 13. It's like, yeah, because there were four quarterbacks that went before Rashawn Slater. There's not four quarterbacks that are going to go before 17. I can guarantee you that, yeah. so. Um, you know, I would be shocked if Charles Cross were on the board at 17 at this point. Anyone? Bueller? No. Where did Fields go? Fields 11. was uh, 11, the trade-up, or 10. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I thought he went after us. Never mind. No, yeah. he went to the Giants. Yeah, the Giants traded up. Hmm. The Bears. Oh, the, no, the Bears traded up with the Giants, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was thing, at 10, right? Because... <laughs> Parsons was 11? No, Parsons, no. Or Parsons was 12? I don't remember. No, f- I think Fields was 11, Devonta was 10, and then Parsons was 13 because the Cowboys traded back with the Eagles. Oh, Slater was 13. Slater was 13. I, I know that. Oh, so yeah, Parsons was 12 then. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Were you looking it up, Tyler? Yeah. Uh, Fields at 11. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd be pretty, you know, it sounds like the Panthers are going to take Kenny Pickett. I guess Matt Rule recruited Pickett to Temple back in the day. So there's kind of a, a love there. So 
God, uh, why why does every division that Brady be in just get run <laughs> by complete dullards like every time he takes it over? It's so annoying that he unretired, and I feel like he unretired just because he knew all these teams were gonna self-destruct. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, I I don't understand it. Like you the Saints know football and they're just being stupid and they're gonna give Brady another Super Bowl and it's gonna be ridiculous, and I'll have to admit that he's the GOAT. I never will, but <laughs> I'm frustrated. But thank you for the picks. <laughs> Hey man, you get you get Jalen Hurts for another year. So no, well that's the thing. You said Bryce Young, and I was like, oh boy, this trade's worth it now. <laughs> there you go. All right, uh, we'll move on here. So we're going to talk about uh, rather frustrating decision that the Chargers uh, decided not to re-sign Steven Anderson. Uh, instead, he is going to sign be signing with the or did sign, I should say, that is official. Uh, with the Arizona Cardinals on a one-year, sounds-like-vet minimum deal. So this is another one. You know, the Kaiser White stuff hurt, but I think this one is also in that same kind of range just because of the the value that Steven Anderson brings to this offense that he presented last year. And, of course, you know, came on the show and had a great interview with us. So um, this just – it's – it's a part of the business of football that I don't like. And I'm, I'm sure Brandon Staley, you know, he said he echoed a, a similar sentiment when talking about Kaiser white, but you know, when you have a player like this, that really doesn't cost that much and can fill so many different roles for you. I mean, when Donald Parham was went down with his concussion, Steven Anderson really stepped up and gave this team a boost. And he took on a new position for this team as that fullback hybrid tight end kind of player improved his blocking at a tremendous level improved his ability on special teams at a great level as well so i'm not gonna lie like i understand you know they're probably trying to get younger and we'll talk about some guys in a second that they could potentially replace him with but the fact that steven anderson probably is only going to cost like 1.2 million dollars and the chargers just let him walk for nothing it's a little frustrating man i'm not gonna lie I would say of the the overall process to me so far has been a bit frustrating. I think they're trying to find a way to replace and develop, you know, with younger guys. And to that certain extent, I get it. Like you want to see your team draft Trey McKitty, develop him, and make him your your starter in lieu of you know Steven Anderson leaving. I just I don't like him leaving. Like even though I get why he's leaving, I get that Everett was brought it, then he's a good blocker, and I get that McKitty could probably you know take the next step but i don't know man he was just doing things out there from the moment the week started week one started against the washington football team now commanders he was doing fantastic work and i don't i just don't i don't like that they let him go this guy who completely changed like to me he changed his entire career in one offseason with the Chargers. He was kind of a not great blocker special teams liability maybe a tight end you throw in the slot you know, 11 catches or whatever it was turning into a guy that I thought was one of the best fullback H back kind of guys out there. And, and he's just gone. And it's just kind of a surprise. I think he was a guy that was blocking as well on special teams for Andre Roberts. That unit was kind of gelling together. Same going is, is definitely a bummer. Um, the best I can say is that I think I do believe in Kevin Coger and this group. Again, they took Steven Anderson, who I thought was a yeah. bit of a liability as a blocker, and turned him to a guy that I really wish they had brought back to be a blocker. So if if Kevin Coger thinks that, and I don't know how much decision he had in this, but if he thinks that he can get this out of Trey McKitty or a draft pick that we can talk about, I believe him because that tight end room, room, room group really did grow 
that past year. But still, the idea of having to replace one of the best linebacker seasons you've seen in a while, your second team all pro returner that's probably on his way out, your excellent H back, like having to replace those guys is just a bit risky to me right now, especially when all those guys are going to sign for a cap hit of you know five million dollars this year. Yeah, I'm not as heartbroken about this one. Th- this one's fine. Um, <laughs> I guess in comparing the thought process, like the, the issue is letting Kaiser White walk, but it's also the fact that they're depending on Kenneth Murray and they're depending on Eamon Agbang-Bamiga to play full roles for them when uh, we already talked sure. about on the Saturday Q&A what their PFF grades were. Um, but <laughs> I won't go into that any further. But you're relying on players that have been bad and unreliable to now be reliable in in the absence of kaiser white right so that that's part of the problem there steven anderson i think was really kind of on the team because they knew jared cook couldn't block i mean that that was the situation last year um and so Uh, i mean that's partially why he was here right i mean that's why they kept four tight ends and gave neighbors (laughs) and not, not really justifying keeping neighbors but he was here for that reason, and I don't know. Letting him walk, I, I get why people are frustrated by it, but it's also like they do want to see more from McKitty, and they do want to see him kind of turn into that blocker as well. And now they have a legitimate tight end one who is a receiver and a blocker. Um, so for me, not not to mention, I mean, he's one of the better blockers among starting tight ends in the league um, in that regard when you look at the stats as well. So for me... Um, I get why people are irked by him not coming back and and the process of it in general of like just not bringing these guys back. But for me, I'm much less, I guess, offended by bringing or not bringing Roberts and not bringing Anderson back uh, than I am when it comes to Kaiser White. Uh, And also, you know, you do have to keep in mind, I think the special teams being run by Ryan Ficken uh, and those two guys being heavily involved in special teams last year. Uh, and Brian Ficken kind of seemingly getting a clean slate, except for Dustin Hopkins, uh, who's back like that, I think plays a role into it as well. Uh, versus, you know, if you look at the defense, the defense is largely still coached by all the same people, including Brandon Staley, and they still decided to let Kaiser go. Um, but yeah, no, I, I am, this could have been something where it's like, yeah, you cut neighbors to open a spot for Anderson, right? Like, I, I do think that is something that would have been preferable. But for me, I'm less hurt by the process on this one than I was with the, some of the other free agent departures for the Chargers this year. And ultimately, I think they'll be fine. Um, I think Parham is a good blocker. I think that Everett, as we said, is a good blocker. And McKitty is kind of developing into one as well. Um, and they could still draft a tight end as well, although I see less of a point to going with four tight ends now uh, that you have a starting tight end one who's not a complete liability in that regard. Um, no hard feelings, Jared Cook. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I think that uh, it's definitely a bummer. I, I would have liked him in the locker room uh, and liked him in that tight end room in general, but I'm not really too broken up about it. I think you have a point about the Kaiser White situation being different for sure because uh, of the, the the players that are behind them. Um, but I think Brandon Sidley does want four tight ends slash one fullback. And I, I'm not saying that has to be five people. And I hope it's not five people. You know, I, I, hope that we can, <laughs> I hope we don't have to waste the roster spot. But I do think that, you know, if you ha- I think he does want three tight ends and then one hybrid player. Like, I think that's kind of the mold that he's looking for with somebody who can fill in as a fullback and H back and tight end when necessary. I mean, he, 
he really values the tight end position. I think Joe Lombardi does as well. We heard Joe Brady say that the tight end position was the second most important position outside of the quarterback on in that Saints kind of hybrid offense. So I think they are going to have four bodies in that room this year. I hope it's not five. But I do think that the Chargers can still add one of these draft prospects in to fill that H-back fullback role or hand it to neighbors. Because to me, like, I think McKitty can do that for sure. But I think they want McKitty as an inline blocker. I think they want him as that traditional F tight end. They want him as that traditional blocking kind of player. They want Gerald Everett as that big slot who can block, unlike Jared Cook. And then Donald Parham is kind of, you know, your traditional tight end, so to speak, that can do a little bit of both. And then they have the hybrid spot, like I mentioned. So I, I think for me, like I said, it, it's a minimum salary. It would have taken a drafting completely off the board. Like I, the thing about, you know, needing a true tight end one, and if they had headed into this class, is that you have, you'd probably have to take one in the third round because the, the second tier of this tight end class is just awful, man. Like the drop off is crazy. So you sign Gerald Everett, so you don't have to reach on a tight end. And if my options are to, you know, draft Isaiah Likely, for example, in the fifth round or sign Steven Anderson for a minimum contract, I would have rather just had Anderson. Like, that's my thing here is that, you know, it's just a way to take another need off the board, a position that Brandon Staley does value, Joe Lombardi does value, and at a very minimal cost. I mean, not saying that a fifth round pick is super expensive or anything like that, but it's just you know one or the one or the other i would have rather just had anderson at this point you know he's he's familiar with the team he's familiar with the building uh and all that you know he's a veteran glue guy so it's just personal preference and i, I do think that anderson took a, a very positive step forward this past year very cool that we're going to be spending nine roster spots on running backs fullbacks and tight ends again great don't disagree with that at all don't forget <laughs> qb3 oh don't forget easton stick hey buddy Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I think it'll be four bodies. I, I think hopefully they, they learned from that decision. And I mean, Gabe Neighbors was inactive. You like, don't the need entire four. Year. I mean, like they needed four last year for specific reasons, but you don't need four. You can just have three tight ends. It's fine. Put a guy on the practice squad. I, I don't get why they need five. Like it, I, I get why, but they, Neighbors was a healthy scratch all of last season. And then they usually picked one of the tight ends to be a healthy scratch anyway. So, like, I don't, I don't know. I have mild thoughts about the Gabe neighbors thing and him potentially being only on the roster for a specific friendship, but uh, <laughs> you know. we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah. All right. So that's a good lead in to our discussion on the tight end ranking. So uh, we're only going to do a top five today. We'll mention a couple of the second guys that we like, but uh, this tight end class was, was not great, like I said. Uh, before we get to the rankings, I have to say uh, these rankings are brought to you by ExpressVPN, our friends over there. You can go start your free trial for uh, international access and, and internet security at expressvpn.com slash guilty. Again, you get a free trial. I think it's three months uh, to uh, you know improve your internet experience. So that being said, um, who went first last time? I think it was Alex, right? Oh, Tyler went first. Mm, okay. All uh, right. What? Wait. What are we doing with top five? Just five to one, or are we splitting? Let's, it up? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> let's mention one guy outside of our top five oh, that okay. we like, and then we'll we'll go into the top five. So, Alex, why don't you kick us off there? Yeah. Okay. I'll mention a guy that uh, when I started the rankings, I put him at number eight. Uh, he didn't end up making my top five, but I originally planned this as a top 10 because I thought that's what we were doing. But then we were like, no, we hate all of these people. Um, and <laughs> we so don't that's... hate them. We just, we just don't, love <laughs> we don't them. hate them. They just all simultaneously have cinder blocks for legs. Um, <laughs> uh, I like Cole Turner out of Nevada. Um, he is kind of one of the more interesting ones and tested sort of poorly, I think at the combine, um, but ended up having a, a pretty solid senior bowl from what I understand. Uh, and so he is a, a pretty athletic guy played with Carson strong. I think we talked about Romeo dubs during the wide receiver mm-hmm. breakdown briefly. Um, but I just felt like, uh, the way that he makes plays kind of as a jump ball type of receiver, um, has a lot of utility in the NFL. He's definitely not a blocker, and I don't think he has the body no. for that. Um, but I do think he is a really solid kind of like receiver prospect. Uh, and I, I don't think he is like, th- this is the thing about this tight end class is like, I put this guy at number eight and I'm like, well, he kind of sucks <laughs> because he doesn't have elite agility. Uh, he, he does kind of get caught in quicksand sometimes, but I do think there is something to his verticality and, and how he can be used potentially in the NFL day three guy, in my opinion, if you want to take mm-hmm. a shot on him. Um, but he, he might be a guy that if you bulk him up, he can kind of actually work into that, like high, not the hybrid role that we're talking about with Steven Anderson, but more like a hybrid tight end wide receiver type of deal. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I kind of liked what I saw on him uh, playing with Carson strong and all those guys in Nevada. Yeah. So the guy that I, I did not watch Cole Turner um, outside of the, game here that i saw him play in person but um apparently had a good senior bowl and so i I think that's an interesting one um the guy that i i just really think he's a solid player is jeremy ruckert out of ohio state Mm -hmm. um not we don't really have his testing numbers up on the rs ras website excuse me um but he looks like a good athlete in space just not anything special and you know, when you watch Ohio State, you rarely see a tight end be involved. I mean, why would they? They have like seven freaks at right. receiver that are all going to be first round picks. So um, it's just not a position that Ohio State traditionally values. But, it, you know, he, he had to make his role as a blocker, as a special teams kind of player. And I think he is one of the better blocking tight ends in this class. Somebody that really understands angles. He really understands leverage. Um 
I'm not the biggest fan of Bernard Rabin, like we've said, but he was on Brandon Thornton's podcast recently and talked about how important it is to, you know, have good leg drive and be able to, once you lock somebody out uh, with your length, with your grip, with whatever you want to talk about, how important it is to keep your legs moving and, and drive players down the field. And I think Jeremy Ruckert really does a fantastic job with that. So I didn't see many tight ends hold their own against uh, Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo when they were tasked in one-on-one situations. Uh, but Jeremy Ruckert was one of the few, probably the only one that I saw that did a at least a decent job and, hold, and held his own. So um, I put this out on Twitter earlier. It kind of gives me Hunter Henry vibes in the sense that he's not a great athlete, but he, he gets open mm-hmm. over the middle. He can work in the flat, just really solid player overall. So, uh, if the Chargers did need kind of a blocking tight end, he'd be something that he'd be somebody that I'd be a little bit more interested in. But obviously, that is McKitty. But in, in general, I do think Jeremy Rucker can can carve out a nice role for himself in the NFL. Yeah, Rucker did make my top ten. I would say he's Same. not a crazy versatile, but they had from where from like inline tight end or H back, he was versatile in that offense. You'd see him from like the H back role run an angle route, and it's like, oh well, where would that come from? Yeah. And they just never really got him involved. But you could see some things chip and release some pushing it down field skinny pose some jump ball um so i do like record uh cole turner is a guy that was outside of my top 10 i watched 14 uh, but I, I do still like him I, I definitely see exactly what you would like him for which is those, those good hands with a handful of opportunities to pluck the ball out of the air he definitely has that um, mm-hmm. i'm not saying like a donald parham sort of thing but he has that size right. and it seems like i don't remember what the measurements were but he has that arm length to really pair with that so I don't want to call him a possession tight end, but he definitely has right. something different that some of these guys don't have. Um, okay, let's talk about some other guys that are outside of her. Um, fine, different flavor, not my favorite, but Daniel Bellinger from San Diego State. I'm not going to say he's the best tight end in the world. I don't even think he was in a good situation to be a great tight end. That offense didn't really seem to be gelling all that much, but this is the guy who's right behind Jelani Woods on that RES score. There is something there. Um, if you're going to get anybody or watch anybody who has sort of that yards after catch ability, that's literally all they asked him to do uh, for better and for worse. Like he's good at that. Sure. There was that 73 yard reception against Arizona. We just he blazed down the field, didn't score, but still 73 yards on third down. Great. Um, he's just not. That's kind of all they asked him to do. <laughs> like there wasn't much in that San Diego State offense to push it down the field for him. I, I did see moments where he was downfield and potentially open. But they just the quarterback was just not pushing it down the field all that much. So a lot of projection here, but you, you, you want to go with the testing. At this point, you know, you're, you're cycling through some of these day three guys. Go for the testing, go for the yak, go for some intriguing traits there. So Bellinger, I think in the pros, if someone gives him a more like an actual NFL role rather than him just catching everything to fl- in the flat or on screens, I think he could do a little bit better than what he did in college. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll just say regarding Cole, Turner, uh, regarding Cole Turner, I have no problem with you putting him at 14. I'm still uh, a little bit miffed about the last guy you put at 14. But Cole Turner, <laughs> you, can, you can put him at 14. That's fine. Yeah, I, he's at 12. That makes you feel better. Oh, oh okay. 12. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. I didn't watch him, but I'm pretty sure that Turner would be at least ahead of Jalen Weidermeyer for me. So I, I'll I think the wrong board ranking. <laughs> I did not watch Jalen Weidermeyer. Whatever. Oh my gosh, man. Picture I, I, I watched him. <laughs> yeah. So Weidermeyer is huge. I think he's like six seven. So picture Donald uh-huh. Parham, but minus all of the athleticism. 
And the, <laughs> it's funny that you say picture Donald Parra minus the athleticism. I put him at number 10. <laughs> That's how much this class sucks. Um, man, it's just, I had high, I had high expectations or at least mildly high. And I, I will say, I really like my top five. I really like my top five. It's just after that, it gets, it gets dicey. So yeah, uh, let's do this. We'll go five and four each and then top three like we do with the other one so alex who is five and four and then we'll kind of go around the horn like that uh at five i have uh greg dulcich uh from ucla uh and at number four i have jelani woods uh from virginia um so okay i like jelani woods and i know everything is like the freak ras score thing but like he's not that athletic like that that was the thing i saw on tape like the obviously size he'll test like a freak because you know he's huge um but i i just i thought watching the games he felt a lot slower in terms of game speed mm-hmm. than a 10 like i wouldn't be surprised if he tested at like a 7.5 8.5 ras score but i i think the stuff with the ras score is is a little bit uh deceiving for me but i i get why he is that high and i still do believe in him as an nfl prospect like i i think sure. he um you know look he's six seven and he runs a four six right like the, there is an aspect of it where it's like like donald parham where it's like okay he's six eight he's big he can go up catch the ball do what you ask him to right um and, and jelani woods is more athletic than definitely i think than donald parham but i don't know i i thought I thought compared to what the RAS score was that he just looked a little bit stiff. Um, so that's why I might be a little lower on him than you guys are. But of course, I mean, I have him in number four. So I think he's going to go clearly in those first three rounds, probably in the top mm-hmm. two rounds, depending on how this tight end class gets like spurst out. Um, but yeah, liked him. Didn't love him. He's at number four. <laughs> so that's this tight end class in general. <laughs> Yeah, I will say that I, I think Jelani is the best blocking tight end of this class. And I think that's how he made his heyday at Oklahoma State. And, you know, he didn't really get many opportunities at Oklahoma State as a pass catcher. Um, that really happened, you know, this past season at Virginia. And I, I definitely see a little bit of the stiffness to me. The long speed that is on his RAS right. profile is legitimate. Yeah. But his testing numbers that, you know, the, the agility stuff. That's where I was like, okay, I don't yeah. know if I completely it, buy his, right. you know, three cone score. Yeah, I'm also just kind of looking at uh, NFL Network posted a graphic. It was the Jelani Woods Kyle Pitts comparison, oh, uh, and is going through all their measurements. I'm like, no, shut it down. We're not doing this. <laughs> you know, like that. That's the kind of thing. Is I think people are taking the RAs and the athleticism to mean that he's that kind of athlete, um, but you know, he's he's definitely got some long speed. I just don't think he's that kind of athlete. Yeah, there's definitely a departure when it comes to the shiftiness. I know people want to, especially Chargers fans, want to say Donald Parham. But to me, show me, maybe I just missed it. Show me the play where he makes two Cleveland defenders miss and scores a touchdown. Well, obviously, that's an NFL team. but the, the know, one, me, Didn't he have that one catch against Kansas City in the meaningless game where he shifted around people? I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, yes. That game, the Cleveland game, the Eagles game. There are plenty of instances where Donald mm-hmm. Parham is making guys miss in the open field in a way that I don't think Jelani Woods can do just yet. Yet. Um, yeah. you have, I mean, you have to put him in your top five. He's in my top five. Uh, Jelani Woods is, you know, but I think he's 
behind where Donald Parham is right now. And right. so where would you take behind Donald Parham? And yeah, like year year one Donald Parham, I guess. XFL Donald Parham. I don't know. Uh, I don't know where I would take him. I have a third round grade on him and just barely. Yeah, I th- I, I do think that he's a draftable player for sure. And, and you right. know, taking that kind of physicality really is is kind of what stands out to me, both as a blocker and as a pass catcher is something that would interest me. So uh, at number five, I have uh, Chidozim Okonkwo. I think they just call him Cheeto, which is super cool to me because Cheeto means dope in Spanish. Um, obviously, he's not Spanish speaker, but, you know, I thought that was cool. Um, he's somebody that, t- to me, is kind of the natural Steven Anderson role kind of player, mm-hmm. and that's really, like, all they asked him to do. So basically his role at Maryland was as that H back tight end blocker. And then he would basically, the only time he would get targeted is if he ran leak or if he ran like a shallow crosser and just give him yards after catch. But on the occasion where they would let him run downfield, I think he showed off really good fluidity, really good athleticism. He, he tested. Okay. Not great. Not terrible. Um, but I think he does have the skill set that kind of would lend itself to being a little more versatile than he was able to show at Maryland. Uh, so Cheeto Okonkwo is somebody that I would be interested in uh, for the Chargers. And then number four for me is Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody that uh, finished very high in our uh, composite rankings that Tyler filled out. And I think he's just really solid player across the board. Really is kind of a better version of Cheeto Okonkwo in the sense that he does fill that hybrid kind of role. And the thing that really drew me to him it was actually his ability to run routes and separate because mm-hmm. uh, that Chanticleer Coastal Carolina offense is really option-based in terms of the receiving routes that they do run. So uh, Isaiah really shows off a good ability to separate. He shows off a, a good understanding to get open against zone coverage. So He's somebody that I was pleasantly surprised by. Uh, you know, I wasn't expecting him to be, you know, necessarily a top five tight end, which again kind of speaks to this class. <laughs> uh, but I do have him as a six point four grade, um, so I like him. He's at number four for me. Nice. Um, yeah. So, what was I guess the tiebreaker between likely and a conquo for you? Because I feel like they're very similar roles. I was just the route running kind of thing. You know, likely okay. does get the opportunity to run downfield a little bit more often shows off a more versatile skill set in that regard. I, I think Okonkwo has the potential to become that kind of player, but likely has legitimate route running chops for me right now. And, and that's kind of mm-hmm. the biggest difference. Also it's, it's, it's Chig with the G, uh, G. Oh, it's a G. It's not a D. No, it's Chiggy. It's like Chiggy oh, Okonkwo. Chiggy. Okay. Well, that's my bad then. <laughs> I could have sworn on the, on one of the, the, Things I was listening to, they called him Cheeto. But. Mm, no, that's Chester. Um, <laughs> what else was I going to say? All right, well, I, I apologize to Chiggy Okonkwo. I'm sorry. Thanks to Chiggy watching the show. I'm sure he is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, what this happened JM guy ranking? getting blocked for sure. Stop trolling. Get out of here. All right, Tyler, who is uh, five and four for you? Sorry, my thing went away. Okay, so number five mostly because I hate watch some of the blocking and I felt like this player did a good job with it. Um, I put Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin here. I was surprised, um, but I I do think he is definitely one of the better blockers. He had, I believe, 
the most run block snaps of anyone. Like it's Wisconsin. They're going to be running. Um, mm-hmm. He's blocking a guy who's very experienced in the two tight end sets as the H back or two tight ends with the fullback or whatever. Um, so yeah, most blocking reps among power five tight ends top. I don't, I don't have any other way to quantify how he did, but a top five profile fo- pro football focus from block grade, um, zero pressures allowed, uh, only 34 pass blocking snaps, but Hey, he allowed zero. So there's that. Um, this is a guy who's very experienced in, again, those two tight end sets with a fullback H back in line blocking from, you know, slice sniffer, chip and release, whatever you got to do. Um, this guy's got good hands. I wasn't overly impressed with most, like most of these guys, most of the guys, outside of the top maybe four or so 30 yards a game 35 yards a game so i'm not going to sit here and pretend like he's a great receiving option but there was some untapped potential i think on display i think against penn state he had that tough one-handed grab on that seam ball um there was that screen pass over the middle or screen pass sort of to the middle to the right um where he made two guys miss he was a contested catch touchdown i think that game too so there are different points of the field that he is winning doing somewhat difficult things and again, he the numbers look okay. You know, the RAS score is 6.74. I'm not sitting here pretending like he's the best guy, but I think he's a good blocker. He's a very experienced blocker. I think that's going to be able to keep him on the field in the right offense wherever he goes. Something very run heavy, of course. And then, yeah, there's some things that he flashes on display on tape that are like, okay, that's something to work with. So that's my number five. What a, what a, <laughs> something to work with. <laughs> he, he is a fourth. Like my number five tight end is a fourth round grade. That's how I feel about this. Oh group. my Atlanta. Um, and then so Jelani Woods is my number four. So we already talked about it. So I have some of the same concerns, of course, like the fluidity in motion. I don't think he's a shifty guy. He looks like he's raw. He looks like he's new to the position in terms of being a receiver. But there's so much there that you love. So I have him at number four. Yeah, I think uh, it's some, you know, Ferguson was the the last like traditional blocking tight end kind of player that I watched after watching Jeremy Ruckert and Cade Auten. And so I, I think at that point I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, get this. <laughs> I'm sick of these blocking oh, traditional tight geez. ends, man. So yeah. uh, Ferguson is is definitely, you know, up there in the conversation for, for one of the better blocking tight ends. Um, I think he's pretty, I think he's like nine on my list, so I don't hate it, but um, all right, Alex, let's move on here and get your uh, top three. Yeah, my top three, I went with Charlie Kalar uh, from Minnesota at number three. Number two, I went with Jeremy Ruckert uh, and number one, I went with Trey McBride. I assume we're all probably going to have the same number one. I don't know, Um, but I don't know. Like the, even thinking about Trey McBride, I'm like, he's good. He's fast. But <laughs> none of us think he's like, of course, last year's draft kind of spoiled us with Kyle Pitts is like the guy, but um, yeah. none of those guys are, you know, all of these guys are kind of like Hunter Henry, second round pick at best. Um, and that, you know, it's funny because Steven mentioned seeing a lot of Hunter Henry with Jeremy Ruckert. And I kind of thought the same thing. Like uh, <laughs> he, he's a little bit of just like, okay, well, we, he's probably not going to do much after the catch because um, he's not explosive. But in a class filled with guys that can't block and are unathletic and just bad, Jeremy Ruckert is like the most pro ready and least bad of them like i guess that's kind of why i have him at number two and i sort of deferred against like just looking again at his ras score like he is a good blocker 
um, you know, can be a receiver, you know, when he needs to be basically. Um, I think he probably, again, is the most pro ready player now, which is sort of why I deferred to him being in the top three. I totally get why he's not higher for you guys, but he, he just sort of makes some of the other guys on this list look a little bit incompetent. Um, and that's why I, I have him at number two, I guess. Um, yeah. as far as the other spots, like I, I think Charlie, uh, Kalar kind of has like some interesting like flex ability like you can sort of put him in different spots uh decent receiver out of the slot uh, i think you could put him there and he's successful his routes are a little bit weird because he is so tall um <laughs> he's sort of got like a bit of a donald parham thing to him there where he sort of just like runs weird um but you know obviously his ras score was good um, you know, so I, I think he's got some solid potential uh, and, and things he can kind of build on when he gets into the league. Um, I wouldn't say he has the highest ceiling. I do still think that's like Trey McBride um, and even someone yeah. like a Jelani Woods that we talked about. But uh, I, I do think that he's one of definitely more of the higher ceilings here. And that's kind of why I had him at three. Yeah. So uh, colors from Iowa State. Uh, oh, yeah. Iowa State. Helmets mixed, confused. That's okay. I turned on I turned on Trey McBride, man, and the first game they're wearing orange jerseys, and I was like, <laughs> like the hell did yeah. I turn on a Miami game? Like, what is oh, happening geez. here? So uh, I was really confused about that one. Um, but Kohler's a, a really good receiving option. I think I think he's one mm-hmm. of those big slot power slot guys that that can make some sense. He's dude as lousy as a blocker, man. Like just you know, yeah. I, I think that really is the thing there. So you know, that's kind of it with him and also with uh Dulcich who is in my top three but you know I think Dulcich his athletic profile just kind of lends itself so uh Jelani Woods is number three for me um hmm. you know for similar reasons so like I, I totally see the concerns um but I, I just think his size his physicality and like I mentioned I think he's the best blocking tight end in this group so mm-hmm. I think he kind of has to be in the top at least the top four and I think we're all on the same page there uh, number two is Dulcich. I think he is kind of the smoothest route runner of the group. I think he is, you know, has a an athletic profile that would lend itself towards being a yards after catch machine in the NFL. And I think, you know, that kind of um, translates. But as a blocker, like I mentioned, just he tries hard. Like he does try. And I appreciate <laughs> that. But he's just not great. And you know, I, I can't really blame him for being a, a not great blocker in Chip Kelly's offense, which is just a bunch of gadgety bullshit. Um, I hated watching UCLA film, but um, yeah. I like Dulcich's ability to create separation, be a, a vertical threat as a tight end. So to me, that that's kind of what separates Dulcich because he does have that ability to run routes in the vertical parts of the field, unlike really any of the other tight ends in this class. So he could be mm. more of a weapon instead. So yeah. that's why I have him there. And then I have Trey McBride at number one. Yeah, I would love. To, so it was also was at six for me. Just didn't make it. And it's mostly just because of that blocking. I feel really yeah. bad. But I'm watching against Arizona State. And he's getting dump trucked by edge defenders <laughs> and whatever. And he's yeah. on his back. And Not I'm like, great. oh, gosh. Like, Is he going to be a better tight end in the NFL than Jake Ferguson? Probably. But just watching the blocking, I was like, I just, oh, yeah. I I couldn't quite put him in there. But as a receiver, there was that one play. Oh, I forget what game it was, but he caught it down the sideline and made one guy miss, beat another guy towards the end zone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was it. And you see a lot of what he can do. I wish he had just shown more of that, had the opportunity to show that 
Um, another really great catch on like a sideline ball. Um, so really, really good stuff there. I just, as a blocker, it was really hard to buy into all that. Yeah. All right, Tyler, uh, finish this off here. Okay, so number three, I have Chiggy Okonkwo from Maryland. Number two, Isaiah Likely. And number one, Trey McBride. We've talked about all these guys. Um, to me, it was a, very much a coin flip between Likely and Okonkwo. They're basically very similar to me with yeah. different things they can do. Um, likely, I just kind of ended up liking more. I, I don't know what ended up being my my tiebreaker there because Okonkwo has the better RES score, but like likely is better on our composite rankings. And, you know, so uh, I don't know. He's, my, he's He has a late as possible third <laughs> round grade from me, and he's my number two tight end. Uh, he has a six for me, and he's my number two tight end. So a lot of these guys are like 0. 0.05 within each other. Yeah. I just don't really like most of them. Yeah. Um, but like we talked about, you know, again, diverse guy out wide in the slot. You can, I guess he's the guy that can attack more points of the field than some of the guys behind him. And so yeah. I think you got him on a post, a corner, a slide, leak, go, wheel, all that stuff that he can do. Um, all the stuff that he can do as a blocker, as a perimeter blocker. There's definitely a lot there. It's a bummer that he tested so poorly, but it didn't really bug me on tape at all. Um, so you know, I think a Congo tested much better, um, but like likely it did, it, it didn't bug me. So he's, he's above a Conquo for me. They chargers have met with likely and a Conquo. So we're, we should definitely be considering these guys, yeah. hopefully not round three, but potentially round four. Um, so definitely something to keep an eye on. And yeah, Trey McBride is just the, he's the guy like he's, he has a late second round for me. He had a 6.5 out of eight. He barely made it. Um, but I do think he does. And uh, he does do enough. He did test well the numbers do look good he can access most points of the field um, so yeah trey mcbride is my default number one practically and he's probably going to be outside of the top 50 on my uh, big board when all is said and done yeah i uh i think mcbride probably falls in like the 60-ish range for me when once we get to that point i will say man like <laughs> looking at his statistics and seeing 91 catches for the season and 90 reps from the slot like that's insane the amount of production that he had this mm -hmm. past season without being somebody that would go into the slot is just kind of crazy to me really don't see many teams use their traditional inline y tight end as the feature of their offense but that's what colorado state did and, and you know it was uh it was kind of fun you know when i was growing up i wanted to be a tight end and Trey McBride was kind of uh, living my dream of being target number one and <laughs> never having to play in the slot. So um, I, nice. I do think he's he's a good player, man. I, I, I do really like Trey McBride. Um, I have a little bit of a concern in terms of the athleticism, but mm -hmm. in terms of creating separation, in terms of high pointing the catch or high pointing the ball and all these things, like, there's a lot to like about McBride, but I, I also have a mid-second round grade on him. So I'm really curious to see where he ends up you know this isn't i don't even think like this isn't even a pat fryermuth case like i think pat fryermuth was like yeah. clearly ahead of trey mcbride too yeah yeah i'll have to go back and, and think about that one what about uh brevin jordan i think jordan would be ahead of ahead of mcbride for me yeah i, I mean i will say the positive to the tight ends being bad is like it allows some smaller school guys like colorado state and coastal carolina to be like yeah. okay well th this guy's good you know compared <laughs> to what those guys probably wouldn't have gotten that attention last year um because yeah. you know now they're competing <laughs> instead of competing with pat fryer and brevin jordan they're competing with 
Jeremy Ruckert and whoever, you know, uh, Greg Dolchich. Um, so that's who they're competing with, I guess, this year. But um, no, I, I think that, you know, I definitely like uh, what McBride does. And I think that speed and kind of the game breaking nature, like that's what you want in like a modern tight end. But also I, I wasn't heavily impressed by anything I saw. So, I mean, he's tight end one. Uh, I don't want to say the same way. No, definitely not the same way, but I kind of, we kind of talked about Kyle Hamilton being our number one safety and we were like, well, we have all these problems with him, but he's still number one. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's sort of how I feel about this, but no, he was definitely clear type, you know, safety one in a good safety class versus these guys are, you know, Trey McBride is number one in a bad uh, tight end class. I do have a question for Steven though. You looked at all the positions in football and were like, I want to be a tight end. Dude, I was a Chargers fan who loved Antonio Gates, man. And that's fair. And in so in Utah, like you have a weight limit. So oh. I had to be an offense and defensive lineman from the get-go. Oh. So I, I never like I never aspired to be like a receiver or a corner or anything like that. I knew I wasn't that kind of athlete, frankly, but I I knew I could be a tight end and I played tight end as a freshman and I was good at it. But then they had me bulk up and keep playing offensive line and defensive <laughs> line. So uh yeah t- i always love to be tight end because i was like i like blocking i just also want to catch the ball from time to time and score touchdowns but so tight end's fun man tight end's the best of both worlds you get to hit people and you get to catch the ball yeah I, i'm not playing tight end anytime soon uh, but no. steven <laughs> if we go to vegas and there's a seven on seven you can be my tight end and Let's i go. will <laughs> not throw to you uh, if you want to catch it, then I definitely won't well, be throwing to you. Okay, Steve. So I'm going to recruit Arjun as our quarterback then, because Arjun. Will Fa- yeah, apparently oh, he's really Ar- good. Arjun's, uh, Arjun's a legend. He's, he's, he's got <laughs> he's got all greens on his PFF scores uh, from his uh, outdoor football games. Yeah, I want to rush Arjun as a as a as an edge rusher. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna blitz up the middle or something. Better um, mobility okay, Steven, than Joe Burrow. Steven, if you could, where would you fit it in this tight end class? What what is your what is your oh, comparison Jesus. here? Are oh you gosh. a Jake Ferguson? Are you a Cole Turner? Are you a Bellinger? Who are you here? Steven's like a, a Jeremy Ruckert without knees. At this <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's the kind of tight end that I would have been if I would have kept doing that. <laughs> yeah, Calcaterra is like the shortest tight end. So that would be me, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I definitely wanted to be a wide receiver, but my mom wouldn't let me play football. So no. Uh, but <laughs> Are you going to let your kids play football? Oh, absolutely not. Head trauma. Fuck no. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I had four tight. I had four concussions in high school and one in college from football. So yeah, it doesn't sound fun. No. Yeah. I was hurt a lot, man. I was like Anthony Davis of football. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lakers eliminated, by the way. Had to get that off there. There you go. That's All right, guys. Any uh, Tyler, any final thoughts before we head out for the evening? No, happy to dive into interior offensive linemen next. And, and just overall, it's been nice to go through mock drafts and be like, oh, I know who that is now. So we're getting to that point where we'll kind of know everybody from one to 200. That's good. Yeah. Alex is uh, so excited to uh, watch some more blocking, except for the, oh. the bigger fat guys. <laughs> uh, wait, what positions do we have left? Interior offensive line and what else? In corner, in corner. Those are our okay. last two. Okay, I'll I'll have fun with corner, but I'll I'll get through interior offensive line for the sake of the show. We got to get through <laughs> it, and I won't have to do it again for another year. So let's get it done. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And then this is something that obviously the Chargers can uh, 
be looking at. So I'm excited for that one as well. And uh, hopefully there's more than just five that we like. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta get to Nick Ford somehow. Yes, I will. Better believe it. All right, so that's going to do it for us today, guys. As always, if you are listening to the audio version of this, please leave us a rating or review. If you are watching, please go subscribe and like the video. So uh, we are going to do a, a Q&A on Saturday, and then we'll do our interior offensive line video on Sunday. I have an interview with uh, Pro Football Focus lead analyst Sam Monson. That's uh, dropping tomorrow, so be sure to check that out. And uh, Maddie Schmidt will be do, dropping an interview of her own on Friday as well. She continues to crush it and uh, broke some news about Gene DeLance earlier this week. So be sure to follow her and the rest of us to get uh, all your Chargers content. So that's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.